Oh, well, welcome to September, everyone. Um, we are in the middle right now of a series called Peacemakers, and uh, it's, it's a, a series that I think that fits really well in our season of invitation. Our church has different seasons that we go through, and right now it's the season of invitation. It's a time where the natural rhythm of our community helps us be to go back in this foundational principle of looking outside, of trying to let God use us to bring outsiders in to be part of our, our fellowship, our family. And so we, uh, we thought that this topic, peacemakers, would be something that would fit really well in the season of invitation. Now, we, we decided that a long time ago, but it seems like right now it seems to fit as really, really well as well. And there is so much, I don't know if you feel it or not, but there's so much relational tension right now. There, there are probably a lot of reasons for this. A global pandemic, extreme racial unrest, uh, we are in the middle of an election campaign, and so there's extreme polarization that's taking place just in our conversations and, and in social media. And so I, I, I don't know if you're feeling it like I'm feeling it, but I feel this, this extreme polarization, and it's impacting not just our nation, but also our communities, also our schools, our churches, families, and and yes, uh, as Sean mentioned just a little bit ago, it's putting a lot of pressure on our marriage, marriages. And so as, as believers, we need to ask, well, what is our response to this? You know, at times like this, when there's tension, when there's relational uh, conflict that, that we're part of, it's easy for us to retreat back to the comfortable and to the familiar. And it's natural for us to find solidarity with those who look like us or think like me or share my values or vote like me. And I've got to be honest with you, that is my natural tendency. My first instinct when faced with conflict or relational tension is to run now, you may not be like that. It may be that you really like chaos and confusion and conflict, but that's not me. I'm a natural conflict avoider, and deep down, I struggle with the desire to be a people pleaser. And so, when I feel this relational tension... What I want to do, my natural tendency, is just to hold on tight to the familiar. And so these times that we've been going through have caused me to go back to the Scripture and go back to see what God's Word has to say. And, and I found comfort and I found hope in the promises of God. But I've also found Scriptures that challenge me and give me direction and purpose in life. And here's the truth. When I go back to the Scripture, when I read God's Word, I find that my tendency to withdraw, to hide, to find comfort in the familiar is not what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't run from difficult conversations. 
And Jesus doesn't hide from challenging circumstances. And Jesus doesn't hang out only with those that look just like Him or think like Him or believe exactly like Him. In fact, Jesus' enemies often point to the fact in, in an accusatory way that Jesus is, he couldn't be from God because He's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners and those who were not like Him. Jesus isn't afraid of messy situations where there's friction and there's mistrust. So there's two verses that, that I'd like to just mention this morning that I have really struggled with, and I have to admit they have stretched me. And I've read them over and over again uh, throughout my life, but it seems that reading them and studying at this particular time, God has spoken to me in, in a very powerful way, and God has stretched me in a way that is, is really not comfortable. The first of these passages is just right a few pages into the New Testament. It's in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus says this, and it's a verse that we use as our, we're using as a theme for this series. Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. I really like with the way the New Living Translation translates this verse. It reads, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. I like this translation because it shows that peace doesn't just naturally happen. In Galatians, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and one of the fruit of the Spirit is peace. And Yet, if our understanding of peace ends there, that it's just something that we just get and we enjoy and we just kind of hang out in that space, if that's where our understanding of peace ends, I feel like we're missing a deeper vision. Yes, disciples of Jesus are able to have peace even in times of storm and chaos and pain. But the picture that Jesus gives us here in this verse of not one of disciples just sitting around enjoying peace. No, God blesses those who are actively working for peace. I appreciate so much Tim's uh, thoughts at com communion where he talks about the blessing of peace and that every week we come together, we break the bread, we share the cup because we have been recipients of peace from God. And I think Jesus wants us to take that and go out and live it as peacemakers as we go out into the world each day. The second verse that I've really wrestled with the past couple of months is found in the book of John chapter 4. And I would encourage you, if you have your Bibles with you, to go ahead and open it up because we're going to be spending the rest of our time together in John chapter 4. It's part of a story about Jesus' interaction with a woman from Samaria. And you may be like me, this is one of my favorite stories in the entire Scripture. So John chapter 4, verse 4, is the second Scripture that God has used to stretch me. It reads like this, Now he had to go through Samaria. 
Now, you might be a little confused. Uh, Did I hear Kelly correctly? He said this was deep. This was stretching. This was challenging. Ah, this sounds more like directions. Did Kelly read the wrong verse? Well, let's go back and look at this verse in context. Starting with verse 1. Jesus is uh, said to, to be out in, he's in Judea, and it says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went once more to Galilee. So we see that Jesus is teaching and many people are responding and they want Jesus to be be their rabbi and they're being baptized in a way to to commit their lives to Jesus in his name. And and John tells us that the Pharisees heard about it. And Jesus, for some reason, when he knew that the Pharisees were, were concerned about this, he said, we've got to leave here and we're going to go to Galilee. But John seems to give us some extra insight in the next verse when he says, now he had to go through Samaria. You see, going through Samaria makes sense geographically. I mean, in Jesus' day, if you look at the map, there's three different regions. There's Judea in the southern part, and then you have Samaria, and then at the far north you have Galilee. The easiest and the quickest way to get from Judea to Galilee is to go due north and go straight up into, uh, through Samaria into Galilee. And many use this route. If you were involved in commerce, if you were involved in trade, and you needed to get your products from one region to the other, you didn't want to waste time by going around. You would go straight through Samaria. But going straight through Samaria in this direct route While it made sense geographically, it was not something that any devout Jew would ever do. And I think that that John is trying to give us something here when he says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. In my Bible, I've actually circled those words, had to go through Samaria. Other translations might translate that word It was necessary, use the word necessary, it was necessary for Jesus to go through Samaria. And it's easy for us to read this verse in our day and age and miss the significance. But if you put yourself in the first century, if you were part of the uh, original audience that, that was read John's gospel, when you read this sentence, you would be shocked. What? Maybe there would be a collective gasp in the audience. What? No, it's not necessary. Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, deliberately choosing to go through Samaria. Yes, there's another way. You You could have taken the route of avoidance. You could avoid Samaria. You see, going through Samaria means that you're going to be in close proximity with Samaritans. And the Jews and the Samaritans despised each other. 
And this mutual hatred was the result of centuries of killings and destructions and betrayal that, was, that spurred on this unending cycle of revenge. It was rooted in race, in ethnic identity. The Jews looked down upon the Samaritans. They called them half-breed dogs because the Samaritans were former Jews who had intermarried with non-Jews. In fact, they had intermarried with those who had come in as enemies and conquered the nation, those ruthless enemies of of Israel. It had roots in race, but it also had roots in religion because the Samaritans had developed their own temple on their own mountain. The Samaritans picked and chose different parts of the Old Te- what we call the Old Testament to be their Bible. And they rejected many, play- many books, many important parts of the Scripture, according to the Jews. And so when John writes, Jesus had to go through Samaria, we need to sit up and take notice. Jesus was purposefully going against the status quo. Jesus was purposefully going against culturally supported segregation that went back over 700 years. And Jesus was purposefully stretching his disciples. Now, I don't know if you're, like, if you're like me, but when I read stories, I like to imagine myself in the story. And so as I'm reading this, often I think of myself as one of those followers of Jesus, who's, who's following Jesus, who's listening to Jesus teach, who's observing how he interacts with others. And so as I'm reading through this particular story here, it's difficult for me. I imagine myself, you know, I grew up a preacher's kid. I'm the firstborn. It's... I've always been expected to do the right thing in my family. I'm a dedicated conflict avoider, as I said earlier. And so for me, when Jesus said, we're going to go to Galilee and we're going to go through Samaria, I would have stepped back. Sirens would have gone off in my head. I would have said, no, no, that's not the, the best route for us. In fact, I probably would have come up with something and said, you know, I kind of need a little exercise, Jesus. How about if we go the long way? Just think what that would do to my step count this month. Or maybe I would have made up something like, you know, I've heard that on the east bank of the Jordan, it's really beautiful this time of year. Perhaps this is what Peter, James, and John and the other apostles were thinking as Jesus doesn't take that eastern route, but he heads straight north. When we read the entire story, we see that there's a bigger story in play here, that Jesus was being led by the Holy Spirit on a mission to bring peace, on a mission to bring peace to a woman on a mission to bring peace to a village. And it started with a conversation. It's as if the Holy Spirit looked through the entire country of Samaria and said, I want to find the person who is least like Jesus, and I want the two of them to have a conversation. 
If you tried to find someone more different than Jesus than this woman, you'd probably fail. Now, we could spend months just studying this conversation, but I'd like for us just to spend the rest of our time today going through this conversation that Jesus has, and let's look at this conversation through the lens of a peacemaker. So we're going to pick it up in verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. So we can see that Jesus has this long walk, leaving Judea, going north, straight through Samaria, and they get to this place. And Jesus sits down at this well. The disciples are hungry, so they go off into the city to get some food. And Jesus sits there, and look what the text tells us next. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Now, one of the things we notice from this verse right here is that, is that John has given us more information about the well than the woman. We know that this is a, a well that belonged to Jacob. Now you say, well, who's Jacob? It's, this is a well that had been there for centuries. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. You have Abraham, you have Isaac, and you have Jacob. But we, what we also see, especially if you look down in verse 12, this well is Jacob's well, and Jacob is honored by the Samaritans just as the Jews honor Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, do you see what's happening here? You have a Samaritan, you have a Jew, who both acknowledge Jacob as their ancestor, and they're having a conversation literally on common ground. Maybe the only place in the entire world where Jews and Samaritans could actually meet each other with a common respect and a common loyalty. So how can I bring peace into a broken relationship? Where do I start when I'm trying to be a peacemaker? I must first find common ground. So as peacemakers, we're, we're called on to be creative and to look for common ground as a starting point for our conversations rather than being swept up with the desire to prove a point or to win an argument. We see in this story Jesus purposefully moving towards people who are different than Him. And the first thing that Jesus does is He looks for common ground in order to start the conversation. Isn't that beautiful? But the conversation doesn't stop there. In verse 7, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Now, if your jaw doesn't drop when you read that verse, you're not getting it. Jesus is in Samaria. And you should feel the tension. He's having a conversation with a Samaritan woman. 
But he goes even further. He says, will you give me a drink? In effect, he's saying, I'm willing to drink from the same cup that you're drinking from. You see, sharing a meal, sharing a drink with someone else was a sign of acceptance. And Jesus is looking to her and he's saying, will you give me a drink? Jews and Samaritans would never share the same cup. They don't mix. But Jesus is in effect saying to this woman, others like me may avoid you. Others like me may despise you, but not me. I see you and I respect you. Can you see what's happening? Before Jesus gets to her soul, Jesus first honors her humanity. He shows her honor and respect. He doesn't rush quickly to judgment. He's not... He's not standing there looking down on her, blaming or labeling as others did. But Jesus sees her and he sees her as God sees her. He treats her as a person who's made in the image of God. But we continue to read verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Even even to her, this is strange what's happening here. And then John has to put some parentheses, a little explanation for those of us who read later on. He says, uh, by the way, for, for those of you who don't know, the Jews and the Samaritans, they don't associate with each other. But go back to this verse. Do you notice what the woman says? She says, hmm... How is it that you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? What I see from this is this, is this question I, I asked as I began to read it. How did this woman know that, Jew, that Jesus was a Jew? Did he have a sign on that says, I am a Jew? Was he wearing the team jersey? How did she know that he was a Jew? Well, it's because Jesus looked like a Jew. Jesus spoke like a Jew. He had a Jewish accent. He dressed like a Jew. What this says to me is that Jesus didn't feel the need to change or to hide his ethnicity in order to relate to this Samaritan woman. Jesus brings the totality of his ethnic identity into this gospel engagement. Jesus embraces his own identity and his own culture. God never intended for the church to be ethnically neutral or culturally neutral. There's not one ethnicity that's superior to others, and God expects all of us to be like that. Rather, God celebrates our differences. Wanting us to know that we're all made in the image of God. It's revealing that years later, this same Apostle John, who wrote the gospel that we're reading right now, he has, this revela- he has a revelation, and it's recorded in our book of Revelation. In chapter 7, he, John writes this. He says, 
as he's given this picture of heaven. He says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Ethnic differences are actually celebrated in heaven. Did you get that? Heaven is a celebration of all nations, of all tribes, of all people groups, of all languages. Could it be that churches in which everyone looks just like each other are missing out on a taste of heaven here on earth? But Jesus teaches us something else down in verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty. What water is she talking about? Well, a little bit earlier we see that Jesus talks about living water and she says, I need some of that. So give me some of this water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. I think that John is trying to summarize a long conversation in just, two of, in, to just a few verses. But here's the truth, that, that what Jesus is saying, he's saying, I hear your story. I know your triumphs. I know your tragedies. I know your pain. He listens to her story. Here's the truth. We're all messed up. We live in a world of sin and it's touched all of us. There's anger. There's abuse. There's oppression. There's pain, and it's not right. And Jesus says to this woman, I hear you. What a great gift listening to each other is. Just sitting down and listening to someone else is a gift that we give to them. And Jesus hears her, and his hearing her says, I see you. And when we, when we listen to someone, hearing them opens up a window into their soul to let the love and the grace of God come in. So Jesus sits down with someone who's totally different than him, and he listens. He's curious about her story. Well, the woman sees him as someone who's not like everybody else. In fact, she concludes that he must be from God, a prophet. And so she says, hmm, I perceive that you're a prophet. Tell me, tell me this, who's right? Is it us or them? Is God found on our temple or is God found in your temple, on our mountain or on your mountain? And I love Jesus' answer. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. For Jesus' followers, it's not us or them. Rather, it's spirit and truth. Before Jesus worshiping in Truth was not possible. 
Temples and sacrifices and laws were only shadows. They were representation of the truth, of the true sacrifice that would come. And Jesus said, now that Jesus is here, God's worshipers can worship in spirit and they can worship in truth. This is the kind of worshipers that God seeks. Jesus wants this woman to know that her story doesn't have to end here, but that her story could actually fit into a much larger, a beautiful story of grace and love that comes from God. And so we see here that Jesus really embodies the truth. He embodies the grace and the love of God. She was thirsty for living water, but what she found just totally blew her away. She found that in Jesus, she saw truth. Because Jesus was the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. And so this woman, she gets so excited She actually leaves her water jar there, indicating she's going to come back. She goes into her village. She tells everybody, you'll never believe who's outside the village at the well. Come on, I want you to come hear him. And so many head out to to leave the village and head out to the well. And John says that they talked and they invited Jesus and his followers to stay with them. And they did. They stayed two more days. And then we read that many in the village became believers. And in fact, this is followed by one of the most beautiful verses in the entire scriptures. John 4, 42, it says, They said to this woman, We no longer believe because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. So here's what God's been teaching me these past few months. Yes, these are strange times. Yes, these are difficult times with tragic loss and significant sacrifice. And these are times, hopefully, of personal reflection and honest spiritual searching. But I want to add this. These are also wonderful times of opportunity for us as the church to be the gospel message of love in our community and in this world. In this time where there's so much discord and polarization, what if there was a group of people? What if there was a group of a community inside a city that actually actually went looking, made it an intentional task to go and to be with people who were different than them. Not avoid them, but to go be with them. And when they found them, this this group would actually try to find, they would be creative and try to find opportunities to, to start the conversation on common ground. And they would show honor and respect each other's Humanity recognizing that they were actually someone who was made in the image of God. And that we would brace our own ethnic, the, their own ethnicity, recognizing that the more different that we are, the stronger and the wiser that we can become. That actually, the more diverse they are, 
the more that this is a picture of heaven. What if there was a community that was really willing to listen to each other, to take the time to slow down and to understand each other's story, to, to be able to walk with them in their pain and to re be able to help them realize that their story is part of a much greater story as they embody the love and the grace of God in a way that can change lives. You see... This is what God expects of us as a church. Paul writes years later to the church at Corinth, he says, all of you together, all of us together, he's speaking to us. We are Christ's body. And all of us play a part in that. The village in Samaria said, Truly, this man is the Savior of the world. So in Matthew chapter 5, the verse we started with, if you look at the second half of that verse, it says, for they will be called children of God. Have you ever, have you ever been with someone and you say, hmm, I know who your parents are just by looking at them, just by listening to them, has that ever happened? I think it probably has. Because when we share the same DNA, it's easy for us to resemble, resemble each other. What Jesus is saying here is that when we work for peace, when we're people who work for peace, we're not doing it to earn something. We're not doing it to gain something. No, it's just natural. It's part of our DNA that we are living out an image of God our Father the author of grace, the, author, the giver of love. We are peacemakers. And when we are, we, people will see the Father working through us. So, who in your life right now needs you to be a peacemaker? Maybe someone in your family. Maybe someone in our church family. Maybe it's a neighbor Who is the Holy Spirit leading you to go and to have a conversation with? Well, it might even be that you don't even know the Prince of Peace, Jesus, and you'd like to, to know more about this peace that we're talking about here. Oh, we would love to talk to you. If you're online, I'd love for you to contact us. If you're here today and you'd like to, to visit today, we're going to be... Uh, available to talk to you. Just find someone with one of the, the little uh, emblems, a the, what are they called? Name tags. Name tags. That's just find someone. We'd love for you to, to be able to, to let us know that you'd like to have this conversation. Maybe that you need someone to pray with you. Oh, we would love to do that as well. So let's close with a song, which is really a prayer, that we be instruments of peace this week in our world.